We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And away we go, episode 147 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, September 17th, 2021, the day after a truly wild and whacked out game for the Washington football team. That game was nuts. That game was drunk. That game was high. What drugs was that game on? That game was like the Charlie Sheen of games, but that game was a win for the Washington football team. The W to the F to the T did it. Washington improved to 1-1, one one, a 30-29 walk-off win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football as Dustin Hopkins went from GOAT to hero in a matter of seconds. Thank you, Dexter Lawrence. I don't know whether to cut Dustin Hopkins or give him a big hug. All I know is, while this game was not a must-win, one and one sounds so much better than O and two. And you know what else sounds good? Heineke. As Chase Young sang when he was mic'd up last season, Heineke. Let's get it there, Heineke. Heineke. Yes, Chase. Heineke, what a job by Taylor Heineke. How many more good games does this guy have to have until people stop dismissing him as a starting quarterback and start being open to him as Washington's starting quarterback, perhaps for a while? But the roller coaster nature of this game was something else. In fact, Elias Sports uncovered this. Taylor Heineke on Thursday night became the first quarterback since at least 1978 with a go-ahead touchdown pass, an interception, 
and a game-winning drive over the final five minutes of regulation, all on three separate drives. Like I said, this game was whacked out. This game was drunk. This game was high. My friends, we have a lot to talk about. By the way, can I get a hip hip hooray? I mean, winning in the NFL is hard. Winning in the NFL takes a lot of work. We all worked so hard for this win. So let's enjoy it, you and me, on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Our first victory installment of the podcast. Can I get a hip hip hooray from Jim Zorn? Here we go. I want to say uh, three cheers. It's going to be a hip hip and I want a hooray. Okay? Three cheers. Hip hip hooray! Hip hip hooray! Hip hip hooray! Yes, thank you, Zorny. The Zorn star making an appearance. The front five, my five biggest takeaways from Washington's win over the Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football coming up next segment. I have many thoughts on the game beyond the front five for you as well. I will do Goldilocks, my college football picks for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Uh, no game for Navy this weekend, but big games for the Terrapins, Hokies, and Cavaliers. And I will talk Orioles later in the show. The O's on Thursday walked off the New York Yankees, a 3-2-10 inning win over the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I know that I have a lot of combo Washington football team Orioles fans listening. How about that? The Orioles walked off the New York Yankees on Thursday evening, and the Washington football team walked off the New York Giants late night on Thursday night. Uh, to that, to the city of New York, I say very simply, Ha-ha. <laughs> yes, ha-ha. And I don't mean ha-ha, Clinton Dix. Uh, a friendly reminder, while we're all in this festive mood, uh, when you have like 30 seconds to kill, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, please give this podcast, the Al Galdi Podcast, a five-star rating, if you haven't yet done that. And please write just like a one or two-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast, if you haven't uh, yet done that. Those things help out a lot. Uh, you can hit pause on your iPhone or iPad right now and do those things. And I thank you for doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. As you might expect, the Taylor Heineke tweets were a flowing late night on Thursday night. Tweet from Matt Cash, if healthy, and if the defense sorts itself out to play at least top 10-ish, he, as in Heineke, is good enough for this team to win some games. Not going to be a top half of the league quarterback, but can play. Tweet from the rally mullet Nats fan. He has potential, I'll say that, but not enough sample size. Great upside. Keep him starter when Fitzpatrick is back. Yes, I do have a Ryan Fitzpatrick update for you a little bit later on in the show. Tweet from Robert. He, as in Heineke, clearly has the locker room too. Injury history, significant. Accuracy, highly questionable. He's fearless, tough, gritty, makes quick decisions. Some of these laudable qualities get him in trouble. Parentheses, he frequently tries to thread an eyeless needle. Love number four, but he's a QB1 number 20. Maybe, maybe, we don't know. But the more we see the more I know I like, and the more I know others like. And the idea of him being your QB1 and growing, I don't think is that far-fetched anymore. Now, we'll see, okay? If he struggles over the next, you know, two, three games and just looks awful, then we're like, ah, forget that, right? And we'll all kind of laugh at this Taylor Heineke conversation. But for now, all you can go by is what you've seen. And what we've seen is he's played in four meaningful games for the Washington football team, and he has done well in each of those four games. Email from Jim D. late night on Thursday night. 
says Jim D. Good evening, Goldie. Yes, good evening, Jim. He says, who boy, this team can't be doing that every week. Our hearts can't take it. Two takeaways. Number one, Heineke is a straight baller, and the team should seriously consider keeping him at QB1 for the rest of the year. And two, it is honestly very frightening the way the defense has been playing through two games. Not 2020 scary, but 2016 scary. Uh, Yeah, it is. Trust me, I will be getting to the defense momentarily. But there is an energy to this show, my friends, an energy that is special as I record this very early Friday morning, although it's getting later on this Friday morning, 4.01 as I look at my cell phone here. So yeah, man, let's get to it. And I know a man who is thrilled with what the Washington football team did on Thursday night. In fact, he texted me late night on Thursday night. John Grandlin, the originator of Commission Flex. John G. of Real Broker. Look, if you are looking to sell your home, you've got to contact John Grandlin and just hear him out. See what he can do for you. Because John Grandlin is offering something that's groundbreaking called Commission Flex, okay? We make the joke all the time, right? Ron Rivera loves Position Flex. Well, John G. offers something called Commission Flex. The days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are over. John G. is changing the game with this concept of Commission Flex. What is Commission Flex exactly? Well, it's simple, flexible, Commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you have to pay the same fees? It's never made any sense. You know, this whole thing of like a flat 6% rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home. John Grandlin will put a marketing plan together specific for you and your home. That plan will maximize your home's value and will help to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John Grandlin has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including actually selling your home for free. Yeah, zero commission Some conditions do apply, but interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no-brainer. Like I said, if you do nothing else, just give him a call and see what he can do for you. He can, in fact, come by your house, uh, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, even if you're just thinking about selling your home again, Call John Grandlin and just see what he can do for you. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. So here's the phone number, 703-537-6747. When you talk to John G., make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you. And make sure that you ask John G. about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703 537-6747 537-6747 or visit John G sells for free.com. That's John G sells for free.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron, just like Position Flex. And what a night Thursday night ended up being for your team. All right, time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team's 30-29 walk-off win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football. Takeaway number one, Taylor Heineke was outstanding. Simple as that. Taylor Heineke was outstanding on Thursday night. I thought he'd play well. He did play well. And he shoved it down the throats 
of all the taters out there, all of the Taylor Heineke haters, all of the Taylor haters, the Tay-Tay haters had to swallow it, swallow it whole on Thursday night with what Heineke ended up doing. <laughs> I just could not get over. This guy made so many plays on Thursday night. Was he perfect? No, no. And we'll get to that. But he was good. He was really good. 34 of 46 for 336 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He took one sack. He had four carries for six yards. Yes, he won this game with his arm. Don't lose sight of that. This was not a game in which he ran like a maniac all over the field. Taylor Heineke won this game with his passing. You know, his running helped, but it wasn't nearly the factor that we've seen it be in previous games. So you take a step back now and you think about Taylor Heineke. And I've made my stance clear. I think he should be an option moving forward. I've never said that he's a certainty. I've only said this guy keeps playing well and we need to be much more open-minded to him than more than a few people seem to want to be. The only reason at this point now to doubt Taylor Heineke is his injury history. That's it. Because here is what is as clear as can be. The guy can play. Okay? The guy can play. Now, how good can he be? Who knows? All right? I'm still not going to sit here and start proclaiming him to be Washington's franchise quarterback for years to come. But you know what? I'm not going to dismiss that. And what if, what if this guy is the guy? What if instead of having to trade a boatload of draft picks, instead of having to wait for that one moment in an NFL draft in which you have a top three pick and you can finally take the quarterback of your dreams, what if this guy is the guy? And you can't wipe that possibility off the table. I'm not saying it's the case. I don't know. But you don't know either. Nobody knows. And all I've ever wanted is an open-mindedness to this guy. He, at the very least, has earned that. The dismissal of Taylor Heineke as a QB1 needs to stop. He knows this offense. He is decisive. He is fast. He makes plays. And he is clutch. And boy, was he clutch on Thursday night. Now, (laughs) there was a terrible moment for Taylor Heineke late in this game. I do not deny that. Washington's 10th offensive drive, third snap of the drive on a second and seven at the Washington 22 with Washington nursing a 27-26 lead. Taylor Heineke threw a fourth quarter shotgun interception to corner James Bradbury for the first turnover in the game. That was a killer giveaway by Washington. There was some bad luck involved in the play as well, but that was not a throw that Heineke should have made. The ensuing Giants offensive drive started at the Washington 20, resulted in Graham Gano's 35-yard field goal for a 29-27 Giants lead with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Ron Rivera, late night on Thursday night at his post-game press conference on that Heineke interception. We were trying to kill the clock, uh, and uh, you know he made a bad read, he made a bad decision. He should have put the ball in the back's hands, uh, going to the flat instead of trying to throw the curl and uh, you know, James Bradbury made a heck of a play. And, uh, but, you know, getting that opportunity, he stepped up again. Yes, he did. So, yeah, the interception was bad, but it ended up being one of just a handful of bad plays by Heineke on Thursday night. And Heineke, otherwise, was largely awesome in this game. Washington's ninth offensive drive, a two-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. The first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10 56-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick down the right sideline as McKissick scorched the Giants linebacker 
Tay Crowder. And then the second snap of the drive, easily the throw of the game for Taylor Heineke. And that's saying something because he had a number of good throws. But Heineke, a first and 10, 19-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to Ricky Seals-Jones, of all people, on a perfectly placed pass to Seals-Jones. Now, give Ricky Seals-Jones a lot of credit. He made a very good leaping catch with his arms outstretched above his head near the back right corner of the end zone while being defended by defensive back Adoree Jackson. But that throw could not have been better from Taylor Heineke. I got to tell you, watching that moment, especially how it followed the previous play, right? That 56-yard hookup with J.D. McKissick. I got chills. I, I did. I got chills when Heineke made that touchdown pass. I was like, good God, what is happening here? You know, we're not used to Washington scoring touchdowns on two-play drives, right? We're used to these painstaking, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13-play drives on which your biggest chunk play is like an eight-yard completion or something like that. This was like something, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs do. Two plays, 75 yards, bam, touchdown. Like, we're not used to that. Heineke provided that with those two great throws, especially that second throw. Here's the thing with Taylor Heineke. Does he have elite arm strength? No, but he can deliver the football. You know, there's a saying in football of he can make all the throws. And that's what I would say about Taylor Heineke. He can make all the throws. Does he have the best arm in the NFL? No, nobody's saying that. But he can make the necessary throws. More from Ron at his postgame press conference late night on Thursday night on Taylor Heineke. You know, he, he, he's that's one thing he has is he, he does have the ability to throw the ball um, and make all the throws, and, and we've seen that. Um, and, and, and he's got a lot of confidence. And, and when he gets into a really nice rhythm, you know, he, he, he can deliver a good ball. The throw to Ricky, he really went through his progression. If you get the opportunity to watch that again, just see how many. I think, I think Ricky at that point was his third option. And so you saw it. Um, and again, that speaks well to our protection. I thought the offensive line blocked pretty doggone well today. So a lot of good things came out of that. Yes, sir. Ensuing extra point off the touchdown pass to Seals Jones gave Washington a 27-26 lead. How about Washington's 11th offensive drive, the game-winning drive? 11 plays, 50 yards, resulted in Dustin Hopkins' game-winning 43-yard field goal as time expired in the fourth quarter for the 30-29 win. Oh, trust me, we'll get to old D-Hop in just a bit here. But Heineke with multiple big plays on that drive. Ninth snap of the drive. Heineke, a third and five, seven-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys, on which Humphreys did a good job of getting out of bounds, but that was a clutch hookup, third and five, seven yards. Uh, tenth snap of the drive. Heineke, first and ten, six-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin on a very well-placed ball by Heineke to pick up some extra yardage to try to make the field goal try closer. Washington's third offensive drive, 13 plays, 90 yards, consumed seven minutes, one second off the clock, resulted in Heineke's second quarter, first and 10, 11-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. And this was as lovely as anything from Heineke on Thursday night. What he had going on with Terry McLaurin. McLaurin was involved early. McLaurin was involved often. McLaurin had a big game. Heineke to McLaurin became a very familiar hookup on Thursday night. 
the touchdown drive uh, between those two. Second snap of the drive, Heineke, a second and four, 22-yard shotgun play action completion to Deami Brown, who made a nice leaping catch of a high throw. Now, also on that play, if you go back and look at it, uh, was DeAndre Carter wide open in the middle of the field for a potential touchdown? So like I said, was Heineke perfect? No, but you know, there's a play on which you could have maybe had six. Instead, you get 22 yards. Okay, I think we can live with that. Uh, But fourth snap of the drive, Heineke, second and eight, 12-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Eighth snap of the drive in the second snap of the second quarter. Heineke, a fourth and one two-yard under center quarterback sneak run. Twelfth snap of the drive, the snap right before the touchdown. Heineke, a first and 10, 16-yard under center play action completion to Terry McLaurin. We had Washington's fifth offensive drive. 12 plays, 84 yards, took just three minutes, 48 seconds. Again, we're not used to this, people quick scoring drives for Washington. This one resulted in J.D. McKissick's third and one two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 21 seconds left in the second quarter. Ensuing extra point gave Washington a 14-10 lead. Now, know this about that touchdown run by McKissick. Taylor Heineke checked to the play for the McKissick touchdown run. Ron Rivera confirmed this during his postgame press conference late night on Thursday night. He, he got he got up there and he, he liked the front that they had given us, so he went ahead and checked it. There you go, Taylor Heineke, a cerebral assassin. Uh, but on that touchdown drive with the J.D. McKissick run, third snap of the drive, Heineke, a second and 10, 24-yard shotgun play action completion to Logan Thomas. Terrific play there. Fourth snap of the drive, Heineke, a first and 10, 12-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys on a screen as Humphreys broke through an attempted tackle. Fifth snap of the drive and the snap right before the second quarter, two-minute warning. Heineke, a first and 10, seven-yard shotgun play action completion to Adam Humphreys. Ninth snap of the drive, Heineke second and four, 10-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin. Tenth snap of the drive on a first and 10 at the Giants 11. Heineke a first and 10, seven-yard shotgun completion to Deami Brown. Heineke was so efficient in this game on Thursday night. Washington's eighth offensive drive, 11 plays, 56 yards, resulted in Dustin Hopkins, fourth quarter, 37-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 23-20. First snap of the drive, Heineke, first and 10, 18-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Third snap of the drive, Heineke, second and seven, nine-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Seventh snap of the drive, Heineke, first and 10, 10-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Are you noticing a pattern here, by the way? A lot of play action. I thought Scott Turner called a great game on Thursday night. This was reminiscent of what we saw in that 31-23 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard round last postseason. Remember, you had pass catchers in that game running, screaming wide open. You had some of that in this game on Thursday night, maybe not as much as in that Bucs game, but what you had was this synergy between play caller and and quarterback. Remember, the Scott Turner-Taylor Heineke relationship is a strong one, and you see that when Heineke plays. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that Heineke does well. Scott knows Taylor well. Taylor knows what Scott does well, and so there's this synergy with these two that you don't always get between play caller and quarterback, but that was very much in effect in this game on Thursday night. A lot of play action. There have been a lot of studies on play action passing, the impact of it, the effectiveness of it uh, at the NFL level. And the gist is, when you go play action, you increase your odds of completing passes. Play action works regardless of how good your running game is. So we saw a lot of play action in this game on Thursday night. In fact, here was Ron 
during his postgame press conference praising the job that Scott Turner did as a play caller in this win over the Giants. And I will say this too, I thought Scotty you know, made some really good calls. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's one of those things that when you hear the play caller call a play with confidence, um, I think that, that really you know, sets the tone for Taylor because um, I really like the flow of the way uh, Scotty called those last few series. Yeah, you can just hear the joy and also the relief in Ron's voice. Tremendous performance by Taylor Heineke on Thursday night. Well, as you likely know, uh, Ron Rivera is a cancer survivor. Uh, Ron had squamous cell carcinoma. Skin cancer is actually the most common of all cancers. In fact, skin cancer accounts for nearly half of all cancer cases in the United States. If you have concerns about your skin, if you are dealing with skin cancer, if you have had skin cancer and haven't seen a doctor in a while, always know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He's one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan. I know that he's happy on this Friday. He's a big listener of this podcast. And operating under the direction of Dr. George Verghese is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. Dr. Verghese and his team offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer, including something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option, and Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. It is the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team's 30-29 win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night football. Takeaway number two, Washington's defense. Disappointing for a second time in as many games this season. You can always tweet me at Al Galdi. I got this tweet late night on Thursday night from Junya Watanabe. You better roast this defense tomorrow. Uh, don't worry, Junya. I'm about to. I'm about to. It's a funny thing, though, with what the Washington football team defense did in this win over the Giants on Thursday night, because there were multiple conflicting items with this defense. There were multiple paradoxical realities with this defense. Let me take you through some of them, okay? So let's start with what was the biggest problem in the previous game, the 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. The third down defense. Do you know what Washington ended up being on third downs on Thursday night in terms of Washington's defense? Four for 12. I couldn't believe that when I saw that at the end of the game. I hit refresh like two or three times. I was like, that can't be right. There's no way that Washington held the Giants to four for 12 on third downs. And yet Washington did. 
So I'm like, well, we all would have signed up for that going into this game, but it sure didn't feel like Washington held the Giants to four for 12 on third downs, did it? And one of the reasons for that is that Washington in this game gave up two big third down completions. Washington didn't just give up, remember, third down conversions to the Chargers. Washington gave up a bunch of third and long conversions to the Chargers. And we had some of that happen again on Thursday night. The Giants' first offensive drive, an 11-play, 79-yard drive, resulted in Daniel Jones' first quarter, second and goal, six-yard shotgun quarterback draw touchdown run on which Cameron Curl failed on an attempted tackle as for a second time in as many games this season, the opposing team marched right down the field on the team's first offensive drive of the game. But on the sixth snap of that drive, Kendall Fuller got beat by receiver Sterling Shepard on a Daniel Jones third and 10 13-yard shotgun completion to Shepard. The Giants' seventh offensive drive, seven plays, 65 yards, resulted in Daniel Jones's third quarter, second and 10, 33-yard touchdown pass to receiver Darius Slayton, who beat William Jackson the third in press coverage. That's supposed to be Jackson's strength. He gets beaten by Slayton. Uh, anyway, uh, seventh snap of that drive, Daniel Jones, a third and seven, 19-yard shotgun completion to receiver Sterling Shepard, who was wide open in the middle of the field. We had more of what we had against the Chargers in this game against the Giants. Pass catchers running, screaming wide open. How did he get so open? How many times did you say that to yourself in watching this game on Thursday night? How did he get so open? And yet that happened, it felt like, so many times in this game on Thursday night. Another sort of paradoxical reality for the Washington football team's defense on Thursday night. So Washington largely stopped the run with the exceptions of two 40-plus yard runs, you know? So it's like, well, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? But yeah, there were two massive runs by the Giants, and then otherwise, Washington was actually quite good against the run, but unfortunately, you can't just delete the two massive runs from the equation. Giants' second offensive drive did result in a first-quarter punt, but the second snap of that drive, running back Saquon Barkley, a second and 10, 41-yard shotgun handoff run on which there was a massive hole to the right side thanks to Cole Holcomb and John Bostic getting blocked big time. Giants' fourth offensive drive, 10 plays, 73 yards, resulted in Graham Gano's second quarter 23-yard field goal that gave the Giants a 10-7 lead. Fifth snap of the drive, Landon Collins completely fooled on the fake in a Daniel Jones 58-yard shotgun read option touchdown run. That was nullified via a holding penalty on the Giants. But still, this went down as a 46-yard run for Daniel Jones. I mean, Landon Collins could not have been fooled worse than he was on that play with that read option run by Daniel Jones. But if, (laughs) I mean, it's funny to say this, but if you take out those two runs, the 41-yarder by Barkley, the 46-yarder by Jones, Washington held the Giants to 26 carries for 76 yards. That's 2.92 yards per carry. So you had that sort of push-pull going on of two big runs, yes, but otherwise Washington did stop the run. Another thing that was a sort of conflicting reality for Washington's defense on Thursday night. So Washington did get to Daniel Jones, four sacks, seven quarterback hits. Washington finished with eight tackles for loss, But Washington generated no takeaways, despite Daniel Jones, right, being a giveaway machine in his career, a turnover machine in his career. Daniel Jones entered this game over 28 career regular season games with 30 fumbles, including 18 lost fumbles and 22 interceptions. And while Washington got to Jones quite a bit, Washington was unable to generate 
Any takeaways? Now, Washington did get to Jones, and there was some good stuff with the pass rush as the game went on. Was the pass rush always great? No. But, I mean, you get four sacks in a game, that's pretty good, okay? That's pretty good. And the guy who killed it more than anyone defensively for Washington on Thursday night was Jonathan Allen, living up to that big money contract extension that he got just a few months ago now. Jonathan Allen in this game finished with two sacks, three tackles for loss, three quarterback hits. He was everywhere in this game. He was so good in this game. That Giants' first offensive drive, yes, it resulted in the Daniel Jones touchdown run, but the fifth snap of that drive, Allen, a second and eight sack of Jones for a two-yard loss. You had the Giants' third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. Third snap of that drive, Allen abusing the Giants' center, Billy Price, who was just acquired by the Giants a few weeks ago. Uh, Giants got uh, Price via trade with the Cincinnati Bengals on August 30th. Allen abuses Price and are out to a third and three sack of Daniel Jones for a seven-yard loss. You also have this. Giants' sixth offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half. Nine plays, 46 yards, resulted in Graham Gano's third quarter, 47-yard field goal that cut Washington's lead to 14-13. The sixth snap of that drive, Jonathan Allen tackling running back Saquon Barkley on a second and six under center handoff run for a one-yard loss. So Jonathan Allen was good. Montez Sweat had another sack. Kendall Fuller had a sack on a good-looking corner blitz. But ultimately, the defense didn't produce anything in terms of takeaways. And you thought that that would have been something that would have happened uh, hopefully multiple times in this game, given Daniel Jones's history. Also, with the Washington football team's defense in this win over the Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football, was just some plain bad stuff. More penalties for Washington defensively. Inexcusable. Five of Washington's nine accepted penalties were defensive penalties. That Giants' first offensive drive, again, it gave us the Daniel Jones touchdown run, the 10th snap of that drive. Chase Young, a second and 12, eight-yard roughing the passer penalty for a Giants' first and goal at the eight. The Giants' fourth offensive drive, 10 plays, 73 yards, resulted in Graham Godot's second quarter, 23-yard field goal that gave the Giants a 10-7 lead. The seventh snap of that drive, William Jackson the third committed a second and 10, nine-yard pass interference penalty in covering receiver Kenny Galladay. Now, it's funny because the snap prior to the snap on which Jackson committed the penalty was William Jackson the third having a good-looking pass defense on a Daniel Jones first and 10 shotgun play action incompletion intended for Galladay. But on the next snap, Jackson got got to the tune of committing the second and 10 nine-yard P.I. infraction. The Giants' sixth offensive drive, again, that opening drive of the second half, gave us that Gano third quarter 47-yard field goal. Third snap of the drive, Chase Young, another penalty, a second and seven five-yard neutral zone infraction penalty. Seventh snap of the drive, Landon Collins, a third and seven five-yard holding penalty for a Giants first down. Way too many defensive penalties for Washington in this game, and we're not done going through the defensive penalties. The Giants' seventh offensive drive, a seven-play, 65-yard drive, resulted in that Daniel Jones touchdown pass to Darius Slayton, and suing extra point gave the Giants a 2014 lead. We had, on the fourth snap of the drive, Kendall Fuller committing a third and 13, 13-yard pass interference penalty and covering receiver Sterling Shepard. It was earlier on that drive, in fact, on the first snap of the drive, uh, that Fuller had a pass defense and providing good coverage on receiver Kenny Galladay on a Daniel Jones first and 10 deep shotgun incompletion. But then later on that drive, Fuller got God to the tune of that third and 13, 13-yard 13 PI penalty. Five defensive penalties in the game. Unacceptable. Can't have that. And penalties, remember, were a problem, albeit to a lesser degree, in that loss to the Chargers. We also had this with Washington's defense on Thursday night. There was a snap 
that could have been disastrous, thankfully was not. But think about how the complexion of the game might have changed had this happened. So the Giants' ninth offensive drive resulted in Graham Godot's fourth quarter 55-yard field goal for a 26-20 Giants lead. The fifth snap of that drive, receiver Darius Slayton, wide open, about as wide open as you'll ever see a pass catcher in the NFL. He was wide open for a touchdown thanks to a total blown coverage, but Daniel Jones overthrew Slayton and Slayton did not extend enough to make the catch on what ended up being a first and 10 shotgun incompletion. You heard the air escape at a FedEx field in that moment. That was a touchdown that was begging to be had. That was a touchdown that totally should have been had. And when you talk about, well, Washington won the game on Thursday night. Yeah, but you know what also happened on Thursday night? The Giants lost the game. And this was a prime example of that. The Giants touchdown that wasn't, despite an awful blown coverage by the Washington defense, allowing Slayton to get that wide open. I'll tell you something else, too, that was an issue on Thursday night. Uh, John Bostic in coverage is a problem, okay? And I don't think I'm breaking news in, in saying that, all right? But multiple times, Bostic, a big-time issue in coverage. Giants' eighth offensive drive resulted in a Graham Gano early fourth quarter 52-yard field goal for a 23-17 Giants lead. The second snap of the drive and the third-to-last snap of the third quarter, Bostic got torched by tight end Caden Smith on a Daniel Jones first and 10, 21-yard shotgun completion to Smith. And then on that Giants' ninth offensive drive, that's the one that gave us the Gano fourth quarter 55-yard field goal. The first snap of that drive, Daniel Jones a first and 10, 21-yard under center play action completion to receiver Sterling Shepard, who was wide open thanks to John Bostic tripping over Shepard's feet and falling down. So yes, there were actually some good things with the Washington defense on Thursday night, but there were not nearly enough good things. And make no mistake, this performance by the Washington football team's defense goes in that bucket of disappointing. Washington's defense, which was supposed to be great and still may end up being great, has so far been underwhelming and disappointing in each of the first two games of Washington's season. You can't be happy with Washington's defense so far, given the expectations for it. Well, if your lawn is underwhelming and disappointing right now, give Weedman a call. Weedman cares for your lawn, so you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. Enjoy your weekends, enjoy your free time, and put Weedman to work. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls promptly, answers your emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. I know all of that sounds simple, and it is, but it's not nearly as common as it should be. Understand, when you call Weedman, you're speaking to someone in an office in your area, not someone somewhere in like the Midwest. You're not waiting for 30 minutes to speak to someone. Weedman actually has real answers that have meaning in your area. Uh, if you have, say, a certain area on your lawn that needs attention, Weedman will take care of that area. With Weedman, you're not dealing with some huge faceless corporation that treats you like a number. Also, Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil, and Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. If you're not satisfied with your lawn, or you're not satisfied with who is treating 
your lawn, make the switch to Weedman. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners. And Weedman is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. So a beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall, starts now. And so Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. The price is a steal. The price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. So you get the special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. Again, that's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Save yourself 100 bucks. Call Weedman. That phone number again, 571 340 3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. Save yourself some money. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. It's the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team's 30-29 win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football. Takeaway number three, Terry McLaurin was great and give Scott Turner credit for correcting one of the worst aspects of Washington's offense in that loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. So I mentioned the job that Turner did in calling plays from the perspective of Taylor Heineke's performance. How about the job that Turner did in making a concerted effort to get Terry McLaurin more involved? McLaurin finished with 11 receptions for 170 yards and a touchdown on 14 targets. So McLaurin in that week one loss to the Chargers had four receptions for 62 yards on four targets, wasn't even targeted in the first half. I went off on this. It is unacceptable and it's inexcusable for a guy as good as Terry to ever be targeted just four times in a game. And I know that throwing to pass catchers is not as simple as, oh, I just want to throw this guy on this play. Like a quarterback has to throw to the open guy. A quarterback has to go where his reads take him. I get all that. At the same time, you as an offensive coordinator, you as a play caller can draw things up, can scheme things up, can call things to where you make sure that your best playmakers touch the football. And I didn't think that Scott Turner did a good enough job of that when it came to Terry McLaurin in that game against the Chargers. Well, we had a polar opposite occurrence on Thursday night. Washington clearly wanted Terry touching that football, and Terry touched the football quite a bit. He, in the first half of this win over the Giants, had six receptions for 60 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. Terry got targeted zero times in the first half of the loss to the Chargers. Terry got targeted seven times in the first half of this win over the Giants. And Terry, in the first half of this win over the Giants, 60 receiving yards off having totaled 62 receiving yards in the entire game against the Chargers. And McLaurin was big in this game. And McLaurin had his way with the Giants' big money corner, James Bradbury, in this game. You know, it's always stood out to me with Bradbury. So, of course, Ron Rivera had Bradbury in Carolina during Ron's time as Panthers head coach. Bradbury was out there to be had two off-seasons ago. And as far as we can tell, Washington didn't really try very hard for James Bradbury. Washington instead went with Kendall Fuller. And James Bradbury got a lot of money from the Giants. And James Bradbury is not a bad corner 
But I tell you what, when it came to the Terry McLaurin-James Bradbury matchup on Thursday night, you tell me who won that one, okay? Because to me, a decisive victor in that battle was Terry McLaurin. And I say that even with Bradbury having gotten that fourth quarter interception off Taylor Heineke. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's second quarter, first and 10, 11-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. Who did McLaurin beat on that touchdown? Corner, James Bradbury. Uh, you add on this drive as well, fourth snap, Heineke, second and eight, 12-yard shotgun play action completion to McLaurin. 12th snap of the drive to snap right before the touchdown. Heineke, first and 10, 16-yard under center play action completion to McLaurin, who on his route schooled James Bradbury. Had him turning in all kinds of directions. Bradbury didn't have a clue what was going on on that play. McLaurin mastered Bradbury on that drive. Uh, Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' fourth quarter 37-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 23-20. First snap of the drive, Heineke first and 10, 18-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Third snap of the drive, Heineke second and seven, nine-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Sixth snap of the drive, McLaurin drew a third and seven, five-yard holding penalty on guess who? Yes, James Bradbury for a Washington first down. And then the next snap, seventh snap of the drive, Heineke first and 10, 10-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. It was a consistent deal in terms of Heineke to McLaurin. It's not like there was some massive chunk play that McLaurin authored in this game. You know, his longest catch the entire game was just for 18 yards. I mean, that goes to show you, like Terry McLaurin was just a steady Eddie out there. And that, of course, is Terry McLaurin. But 11 catches for 107 yards and a touchdown on 14 targets. I want every game to include Terry McLaurin getting targeted in amount that ends in teen, okay? So 13, 14, 15. Basically, I want Terry McLaurin's targets total, game in, game out, to be in puberty, okay? So 13 to 19. And if you go above 19, great. But I want Terry McLaurin's targets totals to be in puberty. That's my goal if I'm Scott Turner, game in, game out. And Washington achieved that goal in this win over the Giants on Thursday night. Takeaway number four, Washington got good production from its top two running backs, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. Gibson was productive for a second time in as many games, and this time he did not have two fumbles, including a lost fumble, nor did he have two drops. Uh, Gibson on Thursday night, 13 carries, 69 yards. That's 5.31 yards per carry. He had two receptions, although they totaled just four yards on two targets. Washington's fifth offensive drive, the one that resulted in J.D. McKissick's third and one two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 21 seconds left in the second quarter, ensuing extra point gave Washington a 14-10 lead. First snap of the drive, Gibson a first and 10, 10-yard 10 shotgun handoff run. Uh, Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' late third quarter 49-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 2017. First snap of the drive, Gibson a first and 10, 7-yard under center handoff run. Fourth snap of the drive, Gibson a second and two, 14-yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, Washington's 10th offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Taylor Heineke interception to James Bradbury in the fourth quarter. The first snap of that drive was a big run by Gibson. Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, 11-yard shotgun handoff run. So Gibson has looked very good as a ball carrier in each of these first two games. I know he did have two fumbles in the week one loss to the Chargers. I know one of those fumbles was a crucial loss fumble, but Antonio Gibson Carry in, carry out is doing a good job. Again, this isn't some situation where Gibson's numbers have been fattened up by one or two massive runs. This is 
every carry, you feel like Gibson is more than capable of giving you, you know, say four to eight yards or something like that. And in this game on Thursday night, he had multiple double-digit yardage runs. J.D. McKissick was a factor on Thursday night. He was not much of a factor at all in the week one loss of the Chargers. But McKissick in this win over the Giants, four carries, 10 yards and a touchdown, five receptions for 83 yards on six targets. Now, of course, with the receptions, the big one was that 56-yard catch, a great throw by Taylor Heineke, but also a great play by J.D. McKissick. That was that two-play, 75-yard touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. The first snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 56-yard shotgun completion to McKissick down the right sideline. And credit McKissick for what he did on that play, torching the Giants linebacker, Tay Crowder. But also for J.D. McKissick in this win on Thursday night, he had himself a very key play on the game-winning drive. The fourth snap of that drive that gave us the Dustin Hopkins game-winning 43-yard field goal was a McKissick fourth and one four-yard shotgun handoff run. It's easy to forget a play like that when you're caught up in the euphoria of the Washington win, but that was a key snap on that drive. McKissick converting on a fourth and one with that four-yard shotgun handoff run. You also, of course, had the J.D. McKissick touchdown run in this game, that uh, third and one two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 21 seconds left in the second quarter. Also on that drive uh, was a McKissick short yardage scenario. So the sixth snap of that drive and the snap right after the second quarter two-minute warning, McKissick had a lot of open real estate in front of him, uh, but slipped on the uh, wet FedEx field turf. More than a few people slipped on the uh, wet FedEx field turf on Thursday night. Uh, This happening on a second and three, two-yard shotgun handoff run. Now, Ron Rivera challenged the play The initial ruling was upheld, but the initial ruling should not have been upheld. McKissick pretty clearly did get the first down on the play, but, you know, the play should not have been that close to begin with. But McKissick did get the first down on the next play. A seven snap of the drive, McKissick, a third and one, two-yard shotgun handoff run. So good stuff from Antonio Gibson, good stuff from J.D. McKissick. And then takeaway number five, I feel great for Dustin Hopkins, although only Dustin Hopkins could go three for three on field goals in the second half, including a game winner as time expired, and still leave you not being that confident in him. You know, only old D-Hop could pull that off. Hopkins delivers. Yes, Hopkins delivers. And ultimately, you have to say that Dustin Hopkins delivered in this game. Although again, you tell me, do you feel great about Dustin Hopkins even now? Hopkins went three for three on field goals. Of course, he almost didn't. Uh, But Hopkins connected on a late third quarter 49-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 2017. Hopkins connected on a fourth quarter 37-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 23-20. Then Hopkins missed a 48-yard field goal attempt to win the game as time expired in the fourth quarter. But the miss ended up not counting as Giants interior defensive lineman Dexter Lawrence committed a five-yard offside penalty. Again, the Giants lost this game as much as Washington won this game, and Hopkins did then deliver a game-winning 43-yard field goal as time expired in the fourth quarter for a 30-29 win. Hopkins delivers. Yes, Hopkins delivers. He got a second chance. He needed that second chance to deliver, uh, but Hopkins did in fact deliver. So your bottom line, it doesn't Hopkins is six for seven on field goals, two games into the season. The only miss has been a 51-yarder. Hopkins was wide left on an early fourth quarter, missed 51-yard field goal attempt in the loss 
to the Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. But yeah, man, I mean, I think the Dustin Hopkins thing is still a thing, but I give him credit. He did ultimately, technically, officially go three for three on field goals on Thursday night. And if you want to put aside the game winner just because you got a do-over on that, you know, that late third quarter 49-yarder was big, okay? And that's not an easy kick to make, and Hopkins did make that kick. So we'll see here. Maybe, just maybe, Ron Rivera sticking with Dustin Hopkins is going to pay off, just like Ron Rivera sticking with Hopkins last season ended up paying off with how well Hopkins kicked over the final six games of last regular season. It's worth noting, by the way, the kicker who Washington signed to the practice squad is no longer on Washington's practice squad. Washington, uh, last Saturday, September 11th, released kicker Eddie Pinheiro from the practice squad to which he had been signed on September 3rd. So barring the unforeseen, Dustin Hopkins is Washington's kicker, and we're just going to have to live with it. Uh, But we did win with it on Thursday night, albeit with a gift of an extra try from the New York Giants. And don't ever lose sight of that. So there you go, the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team's 30-29 win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night football. Takeaway number one, Taylor Heineke was outstanding. Takeaway number two, Washington's defense disappointing for a second time in as many games this season. Takeaway number three, Terry McLaurin was tremendous and give Scott Turner credit for correcting one of the worst aspects of Washington's offense in week one, Terry only getting targeted four times. Takeaway number four, Washington got good production from its top two running backs, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. And takeaway number five, I feel great for Dustin Hopkins. Seems like a good guy. I'm happy he's happy and did well. But of course, only D-Hop could go three for three on field goals in the second half, including a game winner as time expired and still leave you not being all that confident in the guy. Well, prior to Taylor Heineke's heroics on Thursday night, we got a Ryan Fitzpatrick update on Thursday during the day. I'll get to that and much more on Washington's dramatic win over the Giants after this. All right. Well, Washington football team season has finally arrived and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. We're all excited to watch the WFT this season. Whether you're looking to watch Young Sweat and the defense battle Mahomes and the Chiefs or Brady and the Bucks at home or wanting to travel with McLaurin and the guys to watch them play at Rodgers and the Pack or at Carr and the Raiders or you want to hit up the division games, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. So here's what you do. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now and use the promo code Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi and use the promo code Galdi. TickPick.com slash Galdi and make sure that you use the promo code Galdi. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We continue with the Washington football team conversation off the glorious win on Thursday night. No, that was not a work of art, that win, but it was a win. Ergo, it was glorious. 30-29 the final over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night football. The Washington football team now 1-1 one and one in the 2021 regular season. So before the game on Thursday night, we had some pretty significant Washington football team news during the day on Thursday. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, is on the reserve injured list due to the right hip subluxation that was suffered in the 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. We on Thursday afternoon had multiple reports that Fitzpatrick will not be undergoing surgery, at least for the time being. The approach to trying to get right from this injury is going to be a rehab approach as opposed to a surgery approach. Uh, Fitzpatrick is going to be rehabbing the hip The belief is that he'll be out around eight weeks. So that would put his return at some point in November. Uh, It's worth noting that the Washington football team's bye week is in November. Washington has a good bye week this year in terms of the bye week being in the middle of the season. Washington has a week nine bye. And Washington has two weeks between games. So you have a game week eight on Halloween, October 31st at the Denver Broncos at 425. And then you don't have a game again until two Sundays after that. Sunday, November 14th, home to the reigning, defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at one o'clock. So you would think maybe, possibly, uh, if Fitzpatrick is going to take over again as Washington's QB1, that might happen for that Bucs game. Uh, Fitzpatrick, of course, used to play for the Bucs. But who the heck knows where we'll be at? Because here's the thing. If Taylor Heineke keeps playing as he's playing, Taylor Heineke's not being removed as Washington's QB1, okay? I like Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I feel bad for Ryan Fitzpatrick that he got hurt. And I was excited to see Ryan Fitzpatrick this season, but ain't no way I'm benching Heineke if he's going well just because Fitzpatrick's healthy, all right? I mean, Washington signed Ryan Fitzpatrick to a one-year, $10 million contract. This is not some long-term commitment. This was always supposed to be a stopgap measure. Now, maybe a stopgap measure for more than one season, but this was never supposed to be any sort of a long-term commitment. You know, this was always supposed to be a fling, all right? That This was a summertime fling, all right? And you have some fun, but at the end of the day, you know, honey, it's been real, and it's time to move on. 
And so if you are moving on sooner than you ever anticipated, that's okay. You know, these are the breaks, as the great Curtis Blow said many years ago. So we'll see, right? Heineke's got to keep this up, right? Like, I am thrilled with what he did against the Giants on Thursday night. I have believed in him more than some people have, but he's got to keep doing it, all right? Because if he throws four picks at the Buffalo Bills in a couple of Sundays, then the entire conversation is going to change. And I recognize that, all right? We're still adding to the sample size that is Taylor Heineke as a Washington football team quarterback. But that is notable here. Like, this job is Heineke's to lose, assuming he stays healthy, for months now, okay? Because it's not going to be at least until November that Ryan Fitzpatrick plays again. And maybe he doesn't play again the rest of the year. Maybe the rehabbing of the right hip doesn't go so well and Fitzpatrick ends up having to undergo surgery and his season ends. I hope that doesn't happen. You know, at the very least, it would not be bad to have Ryan Fitzpatrick as your QB too. You know, I, I can think of many backup quarterbacks who are a lot worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, so, you know, that, that'd be good insurance for the playoff push come late in the season. But yeah, like, let's see what Taylor Heineke does. But that's a key thing here, that this job is Taylor Heineke's at least until November and potentially for a lot longer than that. We'll see. You know, he's got to keep it up. But uh, we had the Fitzpatrick news on Thursday afternoon. So I talked Terry McLaurin during the front five. I want to make mention of some other Washington uh, receivers in this game on Thursday night. I thought Adam Humphreys did some nice things in this game. He didn't do much in the week one loss to the Chargers, but Humphreys on Thursday night, seven receptions for 44 yards on eight targets. Uh, Washington's game-winning drive, the 11th offensive drive for Washington, gave us the Dustin Hopkins game-winning 43-yard field goal as time expired in the fourth quarter. The second snap of that drive, Adam Humphreys did have a drop. Uh, It was not an easy catch to make, but the ball hit his hands and he did not make the catch. This was on a Taylor Heineke second and eight shotgun incompletion. But later on the drive, the ninth snap of the drive, Heineke at third and five, seven-yard shotgun completion to Humphreys, on which Humphreys did a good job of getting out of bounds. That was a key play on that drive. Humphreys was a big part of that play, so I wanted to give him credit for that. Uh, We also had on the drive that gave us the J.D. McKissick touchdown run, that third and one, two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 21 seconds left in the second quarter. A fourth snap of that drive, Heineke first and 10, 12-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys on a screen as he broke through an attempted tackle. And then on the fifth snap of the drive, uh, this was the snap right before the two-minute warning in the second quarter. Heineke first and 10, 70-yard shotgun play action completion uh, to Humphreys. So some good production from Adam Humphreys in this game on Thursday night. Diami Brown on Thursday night, three catches, 34 yards on six targets, had the big catch on Washington's third offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Taylor Heineke second quarter, first and 10, 11-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. The second snap of that drive, Heineke second and four, 22-yard shotgun play action completion to Diami Brown, who made a nice leaping catch of a high throw. So we saw some excellent stuff from Terry McLaurin, some good stuff from Adam Humphreys, uh, some good stuff from Diami Brown. Where the heck, though, is Cam Sims? Uh, this has become a thing now to begin this season. And, you know, not that Cam Sims is Art Monk, but Cam Sims was productive as last season went on. Cam Sims had a good thing going with Taylor Heineke in the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card round this past January. But Cam Sims in Washington's season opening loss to the Chargers played on just two offensive snaps the entire game. Now, as I tape this installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the snap counts for Thursday night are not out yet. Uh, The snap counts will be coming out very early on Friday morning, but I would anticipate Cam Sims having not played all that much 
on Thursday night. He was not targeted the entire game. Now, look, Washington won. Washington's passing game uh, was effective. So, like, yeah, you can function without Cam Sims, okay? But I just find this notable that Cam Sims has really been mostly a non-factor so far this season. He did have that 17-yard catch in the loss to the Chargers, but that was his only target of the game. And again, he played on just two Washington offensive snaps the entire game. Uh, Samuel Cosme had more issues on Thursday night. So Washington, of course, had the same starting offensive line as uh, Washington had in week one from left to right. Charles Leno Jr., Eric Flowers, Chase Roulier, Brandon Sheriff, and Samuel Cosme. So the rookie right tackle, Washington's first offensive drive uh, was the first offensive drive of the game, resulted in a first quarter three and down. Third snap of the drive uh, was that sack of Taylor Heineke. Now, he only got sacked once the entire game. And this sack, I did think, was in part on Taylor. He held on to the ball for too long, I thought. But also on this sack was Samuel Cosme getting beat by Giants' Ezra rusher Aziz Ojulari on what ended up being a third and three sack. So it's a third down sack. And it was a third and three sack for a 16-yard loss. Now, again, I think a good chunk of this does go on Heineke, but it was Cosme who got beat on that play. You also had two penalties on Samuel Cosme on Thursday night. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt. Uh, first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, eight-yard under center play action completion to Logan Thomas on a screen, but also on the snap was a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty on Samuel Cosme for a helmet-to-helmet hit on defensive back of Dory Jackson. That was totally needless. Did not need that at all. That was a bad penalty for Samuel Cosme. And then on Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' late third quarter 49-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 2017. The seventh snap of the drive, Cosme, a third and seven 10-yard holding penalty. So a third down penalty for Cosme on that drive. So some rough stuff, I thought, uh, from Samuel Cosme. Now, at the same time, you have to say Cosme was involved in some of the good stuff for Washington, right? On those plays on which Taylor Heineke had time to throw, Samuel Cosme was a part of that. Uh, Washington ran the ball effectively with Antonio Gibson for a second time in as many games this season. Samuel Cosme was a part of that. So I'm not trying to say the guy's a lost cause, but you know, you uh, contribute to the giving up of a sack, you commit two penalties. It's not, you know, a stellar night for you necessarily. Speaking of penalties, guess who had another special teams penalty on Thursday night? Mr. Special Teams, the leader of all special teams players, the god of special teams, the man known as Trap, Troy Apke. Did you notice this? Troy Apke committed a five-yard false start penalty with Washington in punt formation on a fourth and 10 at the Washington 33 in the second quarter. This is now two penalties in two games for Mr. Special Teams on special teams this season. Now, we still don't know if that special teams penalty that Apke committed in the week one loss of the Chargers was on purpose. I think it's possible that it was. So I'm not going to kill Apke for that penalty, not to go through that whole thing again, but this has to do with that fourth quarter punt in the loss to the Chargers. The initial down and distance, fourth and seven at the Chargers 40. Then Apke uh, committed a fourth and seven, five yard full start penalty. Uh, but what remains unclear is whether he committed the penalty on purpose so as to give Tress Way more room with which to punt or Apke committed the penalty by accident. But he did commit the penalty. But we know that this penalty on Thursday night was not on purpose. This was by accident. And this was a boo-boo. Troy Apke, again, a five-yard false start penalty with Washington and punt formation on a fourth and 10 
at the Washington 33 in the second quarter. Uh, we also had another special teams penalty for Washington in this game. Jarrett Patterson, a 10-yard illegal double-team block penalty on a DeAndre Carter kickoff return in the third quarter. Yeah, Washington has had a bit of a penalty problem so far this season. Got to get that cleaned up. Got to get a lot of things cleaned up, especially on defense. But you know what, man? One and one. I think we would have signed up for that going into this season. If I said to you prior to week one, here's a piece of paper. If you sign it, the Washington football team will be one and one through two games of the season. I think most people would have signed that piece of paper. You get to one and one, you're one and oh in the NFC East. And now you have some time to rest up. You have some time to correct your mistakes and you have time to get ready for what looms as a major challenge at the Buffalo Bills in week three. All right, it is that time, Goldilocks, for week three of the college football season. You've heard of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This is Goldilocks, my weekly college football picks against the spreads for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Three and three on the season. No game for Navy this week, and that's probably a good thing. Uh, Navy fell to 0-2 with a 23-3 loss to Air Force at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis last Saturday. Navy, after the game, fired assistant head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach Ivan Jasper, but then head coach Kenny Amatololo in an online press conference on Monday announced that Jasper had been rehired as quarterbacks coach. Uh, what happened was that Jasper was fired by Navy Director of Athletics Chet Gladchuk, but Neil Atololo then asked Gladchuk to reconsider. And so now Jasper is back, but in a lesser role, that of just quarterbacks coach. Uh, what must things be like between Gladchuk and Jasper when they bump into each other in the lunchroom? Uh, oh, it's <laughs> it's you again. Uh, Navy has looked really bad so far. Began its season with a 49-7 loss to Marshall in Annapolis on September 4th. The midshipmen will play at Houston next Saturday night, September 25th at 7. As for this weekend, it is a big weekend for the Terrapins, Hokies, and Cavaliers. So here we go. Goldilocks, all odds are from Caesar Sportsbook. Goldilocks, game number one. Maryland at Illinois, Friday night at 9. The Terrapins are minus 7. The public is pounding the Terps, and you understand why. Maryland is 2-0, 30-24 win over West Virginia at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium and College Park on September 4th in a 62-0 blowout of Howard in College Park last Saturday night. Illinois is just 1-2, a 30-22 win over Nebraska on August 28th, but then a 37-30 home loss to UTSA on September 4th, and then a 42-14 loss at Virginia last Saturday. Illinois has been one of the worst teams in the FBS defensively so far this season. Talia Tungavailoa, number 19 in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR through week two. Every fiber of your being says to take the Terps, and so that's why you don't. We have had reverse line movement with this game. The Terps have gone from minus seven and a half to minus seven, even though the public is all over the Terps. That's an indication of sharp money coming in on Illinois. You always want to be on the same side as the Sharps. Betting college football is not about which team is better or what the stats say. Betting college football is about finding where the sharp money is going and then mimicking the sharp money plays. That's what we're trying to do. I don't like betting against my team, Maryland, but I got to follow the methodology. And so give me Illinois plus the seven. Make money, money, make money, money, money.
Yes, thank you, Stoop. Goldilocks game number two, number 15, Virginia Tech at West Virginia, Saturday at noon. The Hokies are plus two and a half. Yes, Tech is the underdog. Hmm. Hokies are 2-0, 17-10 win over then number 10 North Carolina at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg on September 3rd, followed by a 35-14 win over Middle Tennessee in Blacksburg last Saturday afternoon. But quarterback Braxton Burmeister has not been great. He, in that win over Middle Tennessee, threw for just 142 yards on 24 pass attempts, 5.92 yards per pass attempt. Head coach Justin Fuente during his postgame press conference said that Burmeister, quote, played his heart out, but he can be a more efficient player than he is right now, and he knows that, and we know that, and we've got to find a way to craft this so that he can kind of grow a little bit, end quote. Uh, Burmeister did display a toughness in getting knocked out of the game briefly, but then coming back into the game and throwing a late first quarter second, a goal six-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Tavion Robinson on a fade route. Tech's rushing attack was very good in that game, and Tech's defense has been great so far. The Hokies, number 16 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN through week two, and actually the Hokies, number 17 in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN through week two. As for West Virginia, the Mountaineers are 1-1, one one, that 30-24 loss at Maryland on September 4th, then a 66 nothing demolition of Long Island University last Saturday night. The public has been pretty heavy on Virginia Tech with it getting points as a ranked team. And so give me the Mountaineers. Give me the ears minus the two and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, Noop, we're going contrarian. And Goldilocks, game number three, Virginia at number 21, North Carolina. Saturday night at 7.30, the Cavaliers are plus eight. Cavs are two and oh, 43 nothing blowout of William and Mary at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville on September 4th. Then that 42-14 blowout of Illinois in Charlottesville last Saturday. The Wahoos pass defense was excellent and Wahoos quarterback Brendan Armstrong was outstanding. He went 27-36 for 405 yards. That's 11.25 yards per pass attempt. Five touchdowns and an interception. And he had five carries for 31 yards. He was not sacked once and he constantly had a ton of time with which to throw as UVA's pass protection was terrific. Heck, Armstrong even had an 18-yard reception in the third quarter and he did all of this despite dealing with an apparent knee injury of some sort during the game. Uh, Armstrong, number 18 in the FBS, in ESPN's total QBR through week two. Carolina suffered that 17-10 loss at Virginia Tech on September 3rd, but bounced back with a 59-17 smashing of Georgia State last Saturday night. Public is heavily on Virginia. It's interesting, Maryland, Virginia Tech, and Virginia are all popular public plays for this weekend. It's hard to see North Carolina being one and two, especially 0-2, in the ACC Coastal Division. It's hard to see Brendan Armstrong having the kind of time at Carolina that Armstrong had in that route of Illinois. And Carolina owes Virginia. UVA has defeated North Carolina in each of the last four seasons. And so, gimme North Carolina minus the eight. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, so to review, Illinois plus seven, West Virginia minus two and a half, North Carolina, minus eight. Yes, I'm going against Maryland, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. I'm going with three contrarian plays. Your Goldilocks for college football, week three. 
All right. The Orioles are done with the New York Yankees this season. And while the O's only ended up going 8 and 11 against the Yankees this season, uh, A, given the rebuilding and tanking state of the O's, 8 and 11 against the Yankees isn't bad. And B, the O's ended their play against the Yankees in 2021 with a win, a walk-off win, a 3-2, 10-inning win over the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Thursday. Joe Angel, if you would. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe. Thank you. The O's improved to a Major League worst 47 and 99, as for at least a game, uh, the O's delayed the inevitable. That is another 100 loss season. And this win on Thursday for the Orioles was due in no small part to the big three, the Orioles' top three position players. Uh, you start with Austin Hayes, who continues to roll. He had the walk off hit. On Thursday, Hayes went just one for five, but the one, a one-out walk-off single through the slop uh, that was the soggy Camden Yards infield into left field in the bottom of the 10th inning. Uh, Remember, Hayes in the Orioles' 4-3 loss to the Yankees at Camden Yards on Wednesday night smashed two home runs, and Hayes in the 7-2 loss to the Yankees at Camden Yards on Tuesday night drew two walks. He has been terrific over these last few weeks. How about Ryan Mountcastle? Mountcastle on Thursday made history. Uh, Wentz is one for five, uh, but his one, a leadoff homer in the bottom of the six on a bomb to center field. The homer going a projected 438 feet per stat cast. And the homer, Mountcastle's 29th homer of the season. That's a new Orioles record for most home runs by a player in his rookie season. The previous record, Cal Ripken Jr.'s 28 home runs in 1982. So Mountcastle has surpassed the Ironman in at least one item, rookie home runs. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle has been so good over these last few months. His slugging percentage for the season up to 496. His OPS for the season is up to 807. And he is a legitimate contender for American League Rookie of the Year. Now, there are a number of legitimate contenders for that honor. You know, you think about somebody like the Tampa Bay Rays outfielder, Randy Arozarena. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays have an infielder, Wander Franco, who's going to get consideration. You have the Houston Astros pitcher, Luis Garcia. There are other guys as well. But Mountcastle is in the mix, and he's making a late charge for this award. And just the fact that he's tied Cal Ripken's Orioles record for most home runs by a player in his rookie season, just awesome. I uh, love seeing Mountcastle blossom before our eyes here over these last few months. And then the third member of the big three, uh, Cedric Mullins, uh, he has been the best member of the big three this season. Uh, Mullins on Thursday, two singles into walk, though he did get picked off and caught stealing second base to end the bottom of the fifth. But like I've said, the Orioles from a position player standpoint are actually positioned uh, quite well for the future. You know, like you're not there yet, but you've got these three guys at the major league level already and Mullins, Mountcastle, and Hayes. You've got the number one position player prospect in all of baseball, catcher Adley Rutschman playing for AAA Norfolk. You've got some other guys in the farm system as well. The pitching is the concern, but the Orioles have position players who look like they're going to be player players for years to come. And uh, we got to see the three guys at the major league level right now do their thing in this win over the Yankees on Thursday. Next up for the O's, a six-game road trip, three-game series at the Boston Red Sox Friday through Sunday, followed by a three-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies Monday through Wednesday. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 148, will feature much more fallout from the Washington football team's dramatic 30-29 walk-off win 
over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night football. It's a good thing that Washington's next game isn't until two Sundays from now, September 26, because we may need until then to fully process this game from Thursday night. Uh, also on Monday's show, I'll recap a big college football weekend for Maryland, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, and I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Have a great weekend. The Washington football team is 1-1. One and one. It's nice to say that. Uh, and I'll talk to you on Monday. I want to say uh, three cheers. It's going to be a hip hip, and I want a hooray. Okay, three cheers. Hip hip, hooray! Hip hip, hooray! Hip hip, hooray! Hip, hip, hooray!